Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually... Actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or, or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello, friends, and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I am Kate Spencer. And I am Dori Shafrir. And we are not experts. No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. We are, Dori. And if, you have, if you're serum curious, you can visit our website, forever35podcast.com uh, to learn more. Links to everything we mentioned on the show are there. Follow us on Twitter at Forever35Pod, Instagram at Forever35Podcast, and you can join the Forever35 Facebook group where the password is serums. Indeed. And you can also go to shopmyshelf.us slash Forever35 and shop all the products we mentioned on the show and also shop the brand new Kate's Butt Care Shelf. So excited about my butt care picks. So excited. So excited. We will be, we will also be adding more shelves as time goes on, like favorite products, more, you know, just works. We will keep expanding. All the things. All the things. Our routines. Yeah. We'll put it all in there. It's very fun. I I really enjoy getting to make make a shelf. Yeah. Yeah. So check that out. Um, And you can also sign up for our newsletter at forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. 
And you can call or text us at 781-591-0390. And you can email us at forever35podcast at (sighs) gmail.com. Kate, you have some big news. You've been influenced. Oh my gosh. Okay. So the listener who wrote in and was like, I keep my skincare products on my bedside table. And I believe my reaction was like, oh, what? Why would anyone do that? And then that night I was like, why would anyone do that? I should do that. So here's what I've been doing. I've I've been washing my face and then I keep my doctor Dennis Gross LED light mask like next to my bed. So then I get into bed and put that on. And then I've put my eye cream, my Dew Skin serum that I'm using, and then their cream, which I'm obsessed with. I have those on my bedside table because like after you light mask, you're, you're, you need to light mask on clean skin. So I wash, tone, and then light mask. Mm-hmm. And it's like once I'm in bed and I'm reading, I just kind of want to stay snuggled in there. I don't want to like get Ooh. back up and yeah. So I've been doing my skincare in bed. Amazing. I need to, like, if I stick with this, I'm going to need to figure out a better system because I have a tiny bedside table. There's already a humidifier on it. There's not a lot of room. I have like 18 Vaselines and Aquaphors. So I need to kind of see how I like this. But the listener who suggested it, you were right. You were right. It's a great idea. It's a great Uh, idea. I I I highly recommend it because I know you like to get... You like to get into bed, you read, you journal, you stretch your mm-hmm, toes. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's, it's true. Honestly, All those things. I, I was suspicious of this, but it's actually very convenient. Mm, okay. I'm excited for this new frontier. I mean, is it like peak? I don't think it's laziness. It's just like a multitasking kind of thing. I should mention the name of the serum is Deliverance. Trinity serum, which I'm using at night, except when I use tretinoin. And then um, I got to tell you, this freaking cream that they make is great. Instant angel. Check it out. Okay. I will check it out. No, you would. It, this is a nice one. And my current eye cream is Josie Moran. It's the Pro Retinol Eye Cream by Josie Moran. Well, on a more somber and frustrating note, we are, I think both, but you you put this in our show notes, feeling really fucking pissed off about this baby formula shortage that's happening right now. It's a real fucking bummer. I mean, so it's kind of, for those who are not sort of caught up, um, it's it's been brewing for a few months. There was, um, a, there's a plant, an Abbott, laboratories plant that makes a lot of um, formula in Michigan that was shut down. Um, There's all kinds of controversy around how and when it was shut down because there was a whistleblower that had sent a letter to the FDA in like September, but the FDA didn't act on it until January. In the meantime, in the fall, like infants had died from contaminated formula that had been produced in this factory. But then when they shut it down, they didn't find the same strain of bacteria. It's like a whole mess. But the the outcome is that there is a huge formula shortage right now in the United States, especially um, a lot of specialty formulas. So 
you know, babies who can't process, let's say, cow's milk or, you know, like have a lactose intolerance or you just have various issues. There's all kinds of specialty formulas for um, different issues that, that babies have. And a lot of those, there's a huge shortage of. And this has now led to a sort of, I guess the predictable outcome of this is the lactivists like coming out of the woodwork and saying, well, breastfeeding is free. Like what's wrong with all you people who are feeding formula in the first place, which is like, (gasps) Kate starts to get very riled up at these comments. Yeah. It's like, and you know who, you know, I, today we're recording this on Friday. You know, who is like the main character on Twitter today for talking about stuff like this? Bet fucking Midler. Oh, just shut your fucking mouth, bet. Just shut up. Just sing some songs from Beaches and shut the fuck up. And just shut up. up. Yeah. She said breastfeeding is free and available on demand. No, it's not, motherfucker. First I all, didn't not- produce a lot of milk. And and also, even if you do, it's not free. No, like, bitch. Your time is not free. Yeah. The effort is not free. They're, like, uh, I would say most women who breastfeed, not all, but most also have to pump. Pumping is not free. Yeah, the like, pump costs money, even though it's Obamacare just, does cover it now. The level of ignorance is and the level of ignorance is just astounding. Yeah. Privilege. Like, like yeah. for example, me in corporate America, I had a breast pumping room that I would go to three times a day. What about the person working in a restaurant? Do they have a breast pumping room where they can go with their breast pump on their, what, 15-minute break? Fuck off, bet. Yeah. Wow. I don't know Honestly, why. I, I'm channeling all the range to Bette Midler. All the rage. Maybe Bet's great, but this is very stupid. You should not be speaking about this, Bet. Leave it to two podcast hosts. You know, the other the other thing that I do also just want to say about this, and I, I did tweet something to this effect, um, so you may have seen this already, the sentiment, but I do feel like I see a lot of articles about this or even, you know, people on social media saying like, I really wanted to breastfeed, but I couldn't or, you know, for various reasons. Um or, you know, I had a medical issue or whatever. And so I had to resort to formula. And like, that experience is obviously valid. But I do just want to point out that like, it is a totally valid choice to just use formula. Like, you don't have to have wanted to breastfeed to use formula. You cannot want to breastfeed. You can choose, you can choose to not breastfeed. Like that is your choice. You can, and the, the, justification for doing it is because you don't fucking feel like it. So that's it. Like, you know, we talk about body autonomy and like, to me, this is like a huge part of body autonomy. So hard agree, Dory. I don't know. Hard I just want to put that out there because I feel like there, despite we have, I think we have made strides in this area and like the fed is best movement has i think educated a lot of people um but i do just want to make it clear that there should be no stigma attached to using formula and if you can breastfeed and you enjoy breastfeeding great that is wonderful for you i'm very happy for you but also if you just want to use formula that's totally fine you know both my children were both breast milk and formula fed and uh I can tell you now they're totally fine. You couldn't, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't notice a difference, you know, it really doesn't matter. But there is a difference for some people in their mental health. 
Oh my God. Yes. Breastfeeding can be a real struggle and there's not enough support for people who choose to breastfeed or chest feed, I guess, as um, we are also saying now. Um, But that aside, I do strongly believe that the choice to formula feed should not be stigmatized. Dory, I agree with you. And I think this just kind of plays into the larger conversation we are having about reproductive justice and about how there is mm-hmm. zero support yep. for parents, for mothers, mm-hmm. and all the pressure. There's a great article right now, and a quote is going around. It's in the Atlantic, and it's on mom brain. Mm-hmm. And it's called Mom Brain Isn't a Joke. I linked to it in my uh, newsletter. Yeah. And it's, it's the, the subheading is when our culture makes fun of mother's forgetfulness, it is abdicating responsibility for the overwork women are experiencing and its effects on their health. Mm. And um, we can also link to this in the show notes. Also, obviously sign up for Dory's newsletter, but this really speaks to the fact that we're just, we're just uh, essentially uh abandoned <laughs> and then yeah. and then expected to be the most mm-hmm. and it's su- it's just such ab- absolute bullshit and i'm mm-hmm. i'm <clears throat> i'm enraged about it so thank you for bringing it up as i put my skincare on in my in bed at night i sit there fuming <laughs> it's enraging so it is and like it impacts people's ability to care for themselves. Like there's, there's no thought given to, like you were saying, mental care to the Mm -hmm. self care of people. It's just Mm -hmm. enraging. Mm -hmm. So my God, (sighs) sorry, Kate, I didn't mean to get your blood pressure up about this. No, and I'm sorry I like I swore and I got all huffed. I just I feel so discouraged. And I know that is not productive. Um, but sometimes I just I feel so I feel so discouraged on a like a large level. Well, Dory, I do think one thing that doesn't that doesn't make me feel discouraged that actually brings me a lot of joy and hope and excitement is our conversation today with Rebecca Tossig. Great segue. Was that good or was that good? We <laughs> that just That was great. <laughs> I mean, she's a freaking such a pleasure to talk to, such an incredible person who is so thoughtful and just so interesting uh and we we really had, I feel like we really had a blast talking to her. Mm-hmm. It was just really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, she was great. May I tell you about Rebecca? Oh, you may. Rebecca is a Kansas City based writer. She spent most of her life immersed in the world of writing and reading as a student, teacher, and human person because she 
believes that words and stories matter. She earned a PhD in creative nonfiction and disability studies from the University of Kansas, and she writes personal essays that participate in the stories being told about disability, some which you can find on her website, which we will link. She also runs an Instagram account at sitting underscore pretty, where she regularly crafts amazing mini memoirs that explore what it means to live in her particular disabled female body. And her memoir and essays, Sitting Pretty, The View from My Ordinary Resilient Disabled Body, is out anywhere you get books. You can find it, you know, find it at your local bookstore. And she writes that it's born from the most personal place, swaddled in academic knowledge and shaped by the voice she's been honing online for years. It provides a nuanced portrait of a body that looks and moves differently than most. She's wonderful. She's so great. You'll want to be her best friend when you listen to this. And we should also note that a listener suggested Rebecca as a possible guest on the podcast. So thank you for this incredible suggestion. We really, we love um, hearing from people with guest ideas. So thank you. Yeah. Really appreciate it. All right. We are going to take a break and we'll be right back with Rebecca. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes, Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, 
Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or, or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings. There's nights out. It's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Superpower Short. The Superpower Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that thing every day. I do too. Uh, It's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me let me just tell you why. Yeah, get or, into okay, it. Do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no. I was just gonna say, like, I, I, I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires, and just like sidebar, I have 
put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh, God, like, get this off of me. No, thank <laughs> once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it could like, be. Yes. Also, like, summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. Well, we are so excited to have Rebecca on the show today. Rebecca, welcome to Forever 35. Ah, thank you so much for having me. Yay. Um, for I know our listeners can't see you, but I just have to say I love your bangs. Ah, thank you. I uh, This was like an impulse cut all the way to my hairline in the, the other night. So thank you. you. Oh, wow. Feel like I, I just like go and go and then I realize, oh, wow, there's not much left. But thank you. Thank Can you. It- this cute. isn't how we normally start off our interviews, but I actually have a, a follow-up question yeah. because we often get asked, like, should I cut bangs? Mm. Because uh, bangs sometimes feel like the most important decision a person can make mm. in the world. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. your advice if someone's like, I don't know what to do. Should I cut Should I cut bangs in my hair? Oh, I think you have to try it at least once. Okay. Right? Yes. And if you, you know, like, and if, if it's a terrible disaster, they will grow back. It will be painful, but you will have known. You will have explored that terrain. I, uh, I keep going back to them because, um, I, I don't know. I like, I have such thin hair and there's something about like when my bangs get longer and the, I don't know. Anyways, it works for me. So I just am a little addicted to them. Um, but I think you have to try it right with hair. Gotta try all the yeah, things. Like hair grows yeah, try all the things at least once I think. Okay. Now we can get to our <laughs> typical first question, which is what is a self-care practice that you have? Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I love that you both like dive into this so much. And I like, I wish I was, I wish I was like better at self-care things. It's so important. And I, I thinking about it, I think that the thing that is given me the most that is like this ritual in my days that I've been doing for a decade now, um, is, is, is related to writing. I have these, um, Mm. five year journals where, um, like every date. So like May 4th, um, today there's like, um, five tiny little slots to write like a sentence. Um, and every night since like 2012, I like write a detail or a a bit of dialogue or like an image or like something from the day. Um, and for me, I don't know, like I get so sucked up into like the flurry of my days that I like forget all of the tiny bits that like actually make my life up. And so it, it, it like prompts me to be present in the day to think about like, what am I going to write? What do I want to hold on to? And then it's sort of this reflective practice because when I write at the end of the day, I can look back at the previous years and see like, oh my God like, how, how was I that happening four years ago? Or like, I thought that about myself four years ago, or like, um, it's just like really grounding in my timeline and themes of my life and things like that. So I do that every night and I, I'm acting like I've never missed a day. I've missed 
I think there was even months in there that I missed, but for the most part, um, I do that every night. And now that I have a two-year-old and everything is happening faster than I can hold on to, it feels like really special practice for me. So I think that's, that's gotta be the main one. I'm, 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 I don't know. This is amazing because we literally recorded an episode of our podcast, like what, three hours ago. And a listener wrote in about this journal, which is one of Dory's practices. And we just had a conversation about this. Are so you serious? Yes. It feels very like um, one of those weird universe moments that. No feel, way. Yes. Dory is also yeah. a line a day journaler. I do. I haven't been doing it as long as you. I started, um, as I was saying to Kate, I started in December 2019, which, you know, I had no idea that the world was going to change three months later, but it's it's now this very like bizarre artifact mm-hmm. <laughs> to go back and see all those, you know, the early pandemic days. Um, and my son is three. He just turned three. Oh. So it's also really interesting to just, you know, see what he was doing mm-hmm. and things he was into and like, Oh, we still read that mm-hmm. book or, you know, just like all these little things that I never would have remembered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything you're saying like so resonates with me and it is, I find it to be such a, such a great practice for so many reasons. And I'm so glad I started doing it. And I've really been pitching Kate on starting one. <laughs> I feel like this fact that this is the second time it's come up today I, with a new person. I think this is universe telling you, yeah. Kate. You got to dust I've got to pull it out from whatever bin I put it in with all the other discarded mm. journals that I have. And well, and the part of what is great about it is that it's so low commitment. I mean, like yeah. you can't yes. spend exactly that much time on it. You have, you only have so much room. I'm always writing like into the margins, but, um, and then when you get to like five years, 10 years, it's, it's pretty wild. Like the things that you see about yourself or like the patterns or the memories that you totally would have forgotten. Um, so many things I wrote like about motherhood before I had a child mm. that I'm looking at now. Like, I don't know, just all kinds of stuff like that. So yes, Kate. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's going to happen. Your moment. <laughs> well, you, I, you mentioned that the practice of this line a day journal kind of helps keep you in the present. And I, I was reading your piece in time about pandemic uncertainty and how, how just the act of staying present has helped you get through the uncertainty and the intensity of the COVID pandemic. What are some other things that, that you've leaned on that kind of help you stay, stay present in that way? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, like for me, so much of it is writing. Yeah. I, I think that that's like, uh, somehow has become like a part of the way that my brain functions. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean like diff- trying to find different techniques for like, um, how to show up on the page is, has been really important to me. Like just recently, and and that can be really hard to do when you have a a toddler. Um, so, uh, just recently, like I started at the advice of my friend, Caitlin Metz, who, um, is like a wonderful creator and creative person also with the toddler suggested that I just like start, um, like a, a writing ritual with Otto, my son now. So like, most mornings we start the day by both of us making marks on paper. Um, and, uh, and for me, just even trying to force myself to like put one honest thing on paper 
in the, like starting the morning that way. It's like harder than it sounds. Yeah. Um, but like being truthful, um, one time a day, like forcing myself to put whatever that thing is on the paper. Sometimes it really surprises me. Um, but like having that as an expectation of how we start the day too, I think, um, as opposed to like with the, with the journal, it's something I sort of like cram into the last moments before I fall asleep. So like, I don't know, a lot of it has to do with writing. Um, I, and I think another, I don't know, another thing with the pandemic and staying present is that for, for a lot of it. So, uh, like Otto, my son was born in May of 2020. So we kind of like started pandemic and parenthood at the same time. And we spent like a year in, in literal isolation, which led to like, you know, all of the kinds of isolation. Um, and, and I think like coming out of like starting to kind of look up from those days and connect with other people. It's such a simple thing, but like I really got to a place where we just like lived in our tiny bubble and we didn't look out, you know, um, physically or like metaphorically. And so, um, I think like being in trying to like force myself to be intentional to like, um, show up honestly for a few people in my life has, has been an, kind of an important thing I'm, I'm trying to get back to. Um, I don't know. I'm not a great advice person, so I don't, I don't know what I would tell other people to do. It's been a lot. I mean, it's been a lot for all of us in so many different ways. I think it's something we'll be unspooling for a very long time. Um, and, and, and kind of trying to recover from and build, um, and heal and all of that. Um, so I don't know. Those are a couple of things. You, you've brought up, um, motherhood and, something you wrote on your Instagram recently really struck me, which was about um, disability and motherhood and visibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how you have been impacted by seeing other disabled moms and their kids and why visibility kind of in this realm is so important. Oh, okay. I will try not to talk the rest of the afternoon. I mean, it's so much. What a wonderful question. Thank you for asking it. I, I mean, so first of all, yes, I, do, I, I literally don't know that my son would exist if I had not seen other um, moms, yeah. speci- the disabled moms, but specifically like moms who use wheelchair, who a wheelchair, who have um, sort of this uh, similar physicality to me. Um, I don't know that auto would exist without that. Um, I really... Uh, growing up, I like really struggled to see myself as a mom, imagine myself as a mom and picture what that would look like or how that could be. Mm -hmm. I I didn't, there was so much of it that that was just sort of this blank, this massive blank. And kind of in, in contrast to that, the picture of what a mother should be, which Mm. I think we all know that picture, right? Like what a mother should be was so loud and big and prominent. And so the combination of that, I, I just was sort of like, I don't think I want to have kids, you know, I like it. And, mm. um, that's a lot to, um, unpack in itself. Like how much of, how do I know whether I actually don't want to have kids or whether I don't believe that I can have kids or I don't believe, right. you know, it's all of that. But, um, Alex Wegman in particular was someone on Instagram that I started following and, and her pictures of motherhood, 
um, I still think about some of her, her posts today, like when, as, as I'm becoming this parent that she was when I started following her, um, and, and thinking not just like, I can be a mother and I can make this work, but like kind of imagining that disability and motherhood combined can be this like uniquely beautiful thing. And, and mm. how can I um, lean into the things that are like limitations in, in one way, um, kind of lean into those limitations to create something uniquely beautiful. So like Alex, uh, I remember one of her posts was writing about like how quickly she gets things done with her kids and how like because of her, her mobility limitations um, that she does things a little bit slower. And instead of seeing that as like a deficit or instead of um, uh, like feeling worried or ashamed about that, like seeing that as like, this is how we do things. And there's something really beautiful about that slow speed that we take. So that to me um, mm. has been oh, life-changing, literally. Like um, yeah. very few things yeah. would be that life-changing. I think though that one thing that's important that I'm, I'm grappling with now um, is recognizing why like one of the reasons why we, we, I haven't necessarily had a ton of pictures of disability and motherhood in part, I think is because it, it, it can feel, um, risky or especially vulnerable for disabled parents to share their parenting experiences. Like if there is so much skepticism, um, like tangible, con like with real consequences, skepticism of, of disability or disabled parents, there's a, a, a instinct to hide or protect that. And I'm grappling with that now as I think about like, I want to be this picture of motherhood for other people who, who haven't seen that. And also I feel yeah. this tension of like wanting to protect what we have and, and not open it up to that kind of scrutiny, which I think all like a lot of parents would grapple with in different ways too. But there's something like really scary uh, about being a disabled parent and doing that. So that's where I'm at right now. How has it been for you being kind of a, a pretty visible disabled parent on social media? You know, I, um, I, I have found that I have never struggled with sharing any, any part of my life as much as I struggle with sharing parenting. And I would say that in terms of the responses from people that they're overwhelmingly positive. Um, like mm -hmm. people are really affirming and, and, um, and generous. I think that part of that experience that I didn't expect that was really has been confusing for me. And I, I still don't quite know what to do with it. Um, is like, um, I show up really being really honest about, a part of, of this unique intersection of disability and motherhood. And then there will be a lot of responses from, from non-disabled parents saying something along the lines of like, Oh, we all struggle with that. That's, you know, like welcome to motherhood, you know? And so the impulse there is to be like, Oh no, like you're, you're part of this, you know, like you're included and this is what it is. Yeah. And then part of it is like this erasure of like, the uniqueness of that and how like, right. like disabled parents are disproportionately, um, lose custody of their kids and in, in greater, you know, like there's a disproportionate to the number of disabled parents and how many of them lose custody of their kids. Like that's, um, there are laws like in almost 30 of the U S states, literally laws 
on the books that say that disability is like uh, a reason to lose custody with no other proof of neglect or abuse necessary. Mm. And the ADA, you know, is like, um, combats that law, if that's even the right legal language. Um, but like those books still exist, or those yeah. laws still exist on the books, right? And they're a part of a history and a system of beliefs. So, so it's not exactly the same, even as it is some ways the same, or there are those overlaps. Mm. And I just don't quite know how to, how to process that, what to do with that, how to think about it. Um, but that has been a surprise for me. Wow. I, 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 I love kind of the moments you're pulling from and, and as a writer, this idea of even just reading other people's work um, and the language that people choose to use can be such a powerful tool in changing our own perception of ourselves and also the kind of cultural conversation. Um, I was, when I was reading one of your Instagram posts, you had a line and this really stood out for me. You said, I'm not wheelchair bound or confined to a wheelchair. My wheelchair is as precious and liberating as a tongue, fin or airplane. And that just kind of bowled me over. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I just thought it was, it was such a, what it was beautiful writing and you, I mean, we're going to get into it. Let me tell you, I was looking at your <laughs> syllabi for your classes oh. and I was like, Dory, I would give anything to take this class. You're doing your <laughs> research. Oh, this is, this is a deep dive and yeah. this is fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, we'll get into this, but Rebecca's a professor, everybody, and mm. she teaches every writing class I want to take. But so you're obviously an extremely talented writer, but just that shift in language shifted my understanding. And, and so I'm curious as a writer, how, how do you think of language and word choice in, in as kind of a tool for changing, uh, the kind of cultural perception of disabled folks? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I think it's one of them. I think it's incredibly powerful. I think that, um, like it's so, easy to move through life thinking that words are like, um, like cheap and easy and light, you know, like something Mm -hmm. to sort of just bat Mm -hmm. around with little consequence. And, um, and, and I, I have found it just personally in my own life, um, that language is powerful, like changes, um, lives. Uh, Like for me, um, I I went most of my life without ever even knowing the the word ableism. Mm. I think I was like 27 when I first read the word ableism and all of the understanding that came with just knowing that word and like re-examining my own experiences and my place in the world and what I had come to believe about my place in the world. Um, like this shift in seeing myself as the problem in any given room mm. to looking at the structures around me. Um, and, and, and identifying ableism as this sort of, um, force shaping the world around me, um, both like physically in buildings, um, and, and infrastructure and and sidewalks and streets, but also in, in like social narratives and, um, the stigma that is attached to disability in so many different realms. So, um, so learning that word changed the way that I saw myself, um, in deep, um, kind of like life changing ways that, that started to shape decisions that I made for myself. Um, and then like by extension, like changed my life. Right. So it's it's hard to, to be flippant about that. Um, I think also an interesting part of language 
is that, um, like, especially in conversations about disability, you see a lot of debates about the right language or what language you should be using. And, um, like, especially person first versus identity first lang- language, disability, like disabled person versus person with a disability. And, um, and I think that when we recognize words as being so powerful, then we, then we want to choose the right ones. Um, and, and that can get complicated too, because, Language is powerful, but it's also personal. I mean, it's like wrapped up in in, in whole histories and and um, the ways that we see the world and the way we see ourselves. Um, so, so with with language, like person with a disability versus disabled person, I I always say um, to like look to the person and listen to the person speaking mm. who's just like describing themselves, like defer to the person describing themselves. That in that case, I, I don't know that it's as much about the right language as it is about like, um, paying attention to the implications and the person impacted on the other end of it. So yeah, I think that language, um, is, it changes the way that we see the world. It changes the way we see people. It changes where we identify a problem. Um, it, it really, it changes quite a bit and in ways that are so subtle that we, we often like aren't even paying attention to them. So, um, it's like a, it can be sneaky and slippery. Yeah. I want to kind of loosely kind of connect it to another question that we had, but it, it kind of also makes me think of what you have written about how kindness is used toward disabled people in in a way that, um, can often be demeaning. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And just reflecting on that specific quote that I mentioned, like I've definitely used these two phrases that you mentioned, wheelchair bound and confined Mm -hmm. to a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, 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 I don't know. I'm in my brain. I'm trying to connect to those two, but I'm not sure I'm, I'm getting there, but I, I would love to ask you about how Mm. you talk about the way kindness is used by able-bodied people yeah. toward disabled people. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's definitely connected because I think a lot of times we try to pick words that we feel like are kind. Yes. Right? Like, yeah. And so, um, like, a lot of language I think of when I think about, like, kindness and disability and language would be, like, um, like differently abled instead of disabled is one that, that would uh, mm. show up a lot. Um, or I don't know, there's all, there's all kinds of like really cringy ones, um, that I'm like blanking on right now. Um, handicapable, something like that, right? Like, oh, um, handicapable, <laughs> but, um, but it's supposed to be empowering, right? Like it's supposed right. to be kind. And so I think that, I think that definitely relates. And I, um, I, yeah, I have a whole chapter in my book, uh, called the complications of kindness. So I have some things to say about it. Um, mm. and, and uh, to be honest with you, um, of all the things that I write about, the complications of kindness tend to be the things that like ruffle the most feathers that people get sort of like mm. uncomfortable about. Um, and I understand why, because we hold kindness really dear to us. I do too. Like I, I want to live in a world that's kind. Um, but I think when it comes to disability, we often have in our, we, we kind of miss actual forms of kindness and we sort of reach for these um, really trite kind of superficial acts of kindness that generally, if we're being honest, are kind of more about celebrating the non-disabled person's kindness than it is about really changing mm. anything for the the disabled person. So, uh, I mean, like what you, a really obvious example would be like the, the viral quote unquote news stories about the quarterback of the football team asking this disabled girl to prom. And like, now we are like, 
now there's hope for humanity. Right. Um, or yeah. Or like in, in, in the, my book I write about, there was like a, it was all over the news and like pretty prominent news outlets that published um, a story about this young woman who um, got on a plane and um, they had like a call as there was someone that knew ASL American sign language. And she became the translator for this deaf blind man who was on the plane. And there were all of these store like photographs. Someone had taken photos of her on the plane. And it was, there were all the photos were like focused on her face and um, sort of the man, the deaf blind man was kind of erased from this story. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about like, what was going to happen to this man if he bought this plane ticket, paid good money for it, got on the plane, and there wasn't a translator? Like, what was the plan for him? Um, so one of the things that these stories, these quote-unquote, like, news stories do is highlight that in a lot of the um, expressions of kindness towards disabled people, we are actually missing the problem, right? Like the problem around them, the, the structures around them. Um, why is it considered newsworthy that a, a disabled girl would get asked to prom? Mm. Why is that a news story? What What is the social stigma surrounding this this person that would make that a news story? Or what what is the um, plan for deaf um, blind people who fly, like what is the protocol there? What is the system in place to catch that person and make sure that that flight works for them? Um, we don't talk about those things in those viral news stories because we're so excited about this like young woman who, who knows ASL and is going to translate. And now we have hope for humanity when like these people on the receiving end of these moments of kindness are sort of, um, left to fend for themselves. And, um, in the book, I have like a tiny example. It's a tiny, tiny example of 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 kind of how I look at kindness and disability. Um, when I go to restaurants, often um, that area where they have like the napkins and, and the straws um, is out of reach for me. It's somehow like up high and tucked far back. And um, and it wouldn't be uncommon for someone to come and like see that I couldn't reach them and, and like pick up a napkin for me or something, which is great. Thank you. Um but like, what about just changing the design, right? Like, what if we actually changed the way that that was set up? Um, and that way, anyone who who couldn't reach that and needed to would be able to have access. And we wouldn't be just sort of like sitting there waiting for the kind person to reach mm. the straw for us, right? And so I think so much of it is really about looking at these structures and systems that we have in place that were created for, um, you know, this like very narrow prototype that very few of us fit. Um, and, and try to actually change those structures instead of just like finding a way to feel really good about ourselves for asking someone mm. to prom, you know? Um, so that's, a, I don't know, that's my very abbreviated, uh, like dipping my toe in the conversation. Obviously I could talk about it for a while. Um, but, uh, I think that hopefully that's like the short version of it for people. And then, you know, I've got a, I've, there's a Ted talk out there somewhere where I talk more about it in a chapter in a book. So there's more if you're interested. Okay, well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. 
Mm. Okay. Which is okay. I know. Visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. OneSkin believes the Amen. purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. All right, we are back. I wanted to ask um, about something else you talk about in your book, which is the kind of three tropes of disability that you saw growing up. Um, the monstrous kind of hunchback of Notre Dame trope, the inspirational Helen Keller trope, the angelic Forrest Gump trope. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how these tropes influenced your own self-image. And then also, do you feel like you've broken free of them? Um, and if so, how did that process play out? Yeah, that's, thank you. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely grew up um, not seeing anyone that looked like me or felt true to my experience, um, in, in the, in media in storytelling. I, it, um, so what I ended up doing growing up was I, I really leaned into the inspirational, um, trope. Um, and I, I mean, I would like, I literally, I don't talk about this that much in the book. Um, maybe that this is something for another book. Um, yeah. 
But my, my mm-hmm. mom and I, um, would actually go and do talks together and, and tell this, like my story. Um, I'm putting, I'm doing air quotes here. Um, my story. And, and I was really like performing this inspiration, um, for people. And I, uh, my mom did that with, with me when I was younger. And then when I became a teenager, I kind of started doing it on my own a little bit. Um, and, and it didn't, it, it wasn't fully true. It wasn't like a complete picture of me. I think part of it, it was partially true that there was a way that I, um, I mean, kind of the message was like, if I can have joy, surely you can have joy, right? If I can have joy from my disabled, broken body, surely you um, can find joy. And that was sort of, I think, kind of the underlining bottom line message of a lot of what the talks that I was giving. And, 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 part of why that wasn't sustainable is that there was a lot of other stuff going on for me, but I didn't feel like there was any way for me to express that. It wasn't okay to express any of that. Um, and so I, I really buried, um, so much of my experiences in this hope of like fitting or mashing into this, who, who I was allowed to be, which was inspirational, the inspirational disabled girl. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it basically left, led led me to a pretty intense crisis point in my early twenties, where um, I talk about it just a barely little bit in the book. But like, I ended up getting divorced really young, and um, it was a pretty um, bad situation. It wasn't like an easy, seamless, like mutual decision. It was sort of like blowing up my life in a way, and um, and and in large part, it was because I I was just operating under this. Um, like trying to fit into a character that was not me. Um, it, it was not true to me. Uh, it wasn't complete. It wasn't full. And so um, I spent a lot of my 20s and particularly like as I was learning about disability studies and things like ableism, I did a lot of work in my 20s sort of unpacking the fullness of me and letting all of the contradictory contradictory parts of me exist simultaneously. Um, so in the second part of your question about like, I I don't remember how you worded it, but like, am I, am I over that? Or have I like kind of become my own person, um, in spite of, or in contrast to these like one dimensional tropes. And, um, I would say yes and no, I would say yes in the sense that like, um, I'm not, I'm not trying to be Pollyanna. I'm not trying to be that one dimensional person, but, um, I was, I have been really shocked by how motherhood has jarred me. I, I, before becoming a mother, I felt like I had conquered that sort of like the power that those tropes Mm. had over me and that I was, I knew who I was and I was this complicated person who had, you know, like all the twists and turns of the complexities of me and getting to be my own person. And then I became a mom and I was devastated that I wasn't that mom that I thought I should be. And so once again, I found like, myself bumping up against a certain sort of trope and, and, and feeling really, um, insufficient and thrown by that. And so I've, I I would say that I think that I, I at least can recognize that that picture I have in my head of like the mom I should be is a fiction and, and a really harmful one. Um, but I think I'd be lying if I said that it was easy or that, um, it didn't have any sort of hold on me or that there weren't days when I, it felt like, um, like the mom that I was 
as a, a disabled, this disabled mom that I am. And all, I'm so much more than a disabled mom, but like whoever I am, um, is not sufficient and compared to this picture of what I should be. And, um, so it's, it's an ongoing thing, um, for me, for yeah. sure. You know, we've, we've talked about like representation and portrayal of people with disabilities. And I'm wondering if you think, is, is there any TV show or movie or novel that you think gets disabled people right? They, I love that question. And I will, I just have to say, um, everybody keep your fingers crossed because, uh, we're currently like pitching a show. I'm working with some producers who really get that the need for better disability representation. And they optioned my book after it came out. And we've been kind of like, out there pitching um, a, a very fictionalized version of my story that I think would be really cool. And I hope we get to make it. I think um, part of what I found really appealing about this group of producers was that they, they, they want to bring disabled creators into every part of the story making. So not just writers, mm. but directors and costume designers and um, oh, that's yeah, cool. all, all the parts. Cause there's so much, when you think about a visual medium, there's so many parts of that making of that story. And so wanting people who know the experience to be a part of every like nook and crevice mm-hmm. of that. But in terms of shows that already exist, I always point people towards special Ryan O'Connell. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. He's um, wonderful. Yes. Yeah, so Ryan O'Connell wrote the memoir first and then they adapted it into this uh, it's two seasons, like kind of mini series on Netflix. And, and he actually, is like the actor playing himself, um, which is so rare and special. And, um, and it's just a, it's just like such an honest, like hilarious, heartbreaking, all the parts that make us human, right? Like all of the roller coasters, complications and contradictions of that. Um, but just like from this very pers- specific and honest and true point of view. So I love, love that show. Um, there are like other, other shows I feel like that sort of like get almost there or like do something well or interesting. Um, Speechless is another show that is at least like the actors. Um, I think his name is Micah Fowler maybe is playing uh, a character who has a, the same disability that he has. And um, the family in that, in that show just reminded me a lot of my family growing up in the ways that like, when you grow up with a disabled sibling, um, like they are not different to you at all. Like they're just as annoying as anyone else and they are just as human (laughs) and you get jealous of them and you fight with them. And, um, all of the scrappiness of that just felt really true that, and I loved that a lot too. Um, but I, yeah, I think, I honestly think that, that there is about to be a lot more. Um, I feel like, Hollywood is, is really tuned into and hearing people say like, there is not enough representation. It's not good representation. We need people who know the experience acting in these parts and creating these shows. And I think that that's, I think that we're on the cusp of a lot more of that happening, um, which is, is really exciting. I hope so. And I hope your show gets made. Me too. Yeah. I'll send, I'm sending, sending that out into the universe. Thank you. (laughs) Well, we're going to end with a, a question that we also like to ask all our guests, but we sometimes forget to ask. So we're trying to be better about it. But <laughs> do you have a skincare practice? And do you have any products 
skin products, beauty products that you love and want to share or recommend? Okay. I prepared for this question because I, I thought maybe you would ask me about skincare stuff and I'm like, so, so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like uh, I'm unaware of, of anything. Like I'm so haphazard. However, um, I do have one skin like makeup product that I'm really excited about um, that I started using, I don't know, like a year ago and I brought it so I wouldn't forget what it was called. Um, so it's, it's the Ilia product and it's like the super serum skin tint yes. with SPF in it. Uh-huh. And it is something special. Like when I, I just makes my skin feel different um, when I put it on and it, and it, um, I feel like it's doing it. I feel like it's making my skin healthier somehow in general, I don't know if that's true, but it just feels really good. And and it does what, I don't know. It seems like it's doing the job. I, uh, like years ago, I ordered like one bottle of like citrus scrub oil of Olay on Amazon. I ordered one bottle of it and they sent me 12. (laughs) And so I've like been working my way through that, that shipment for years and feeling (laughs) really like really good about like, um, swindling Amazon out of a little bit of, um, a little bit of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Let Jeff Bezos buy your skincare products. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. I will. Um, and so I've been using that forever and it, you know, like it feels good too. I like the smell of it. Um, but yeah, this Ilya stuff is, is, is it works. I love that stuff. Kate, I was just going to say, Kate, you're a fan. Of I that. am. Ilya. And, and it, it does. It's one of those like, skin tints that also has like the serum elements. So you kind of mm-hmm. feel like it's like a magic mm-hmm. potion almost. Yeah. Like it makes your skin feel good. It's doing something and you look nice. Yeah. It, it definitely like it's, it's working on multiple cylinders. That's right. I feel like I need to just, I need to go and try it IRL because I've never been able to find the right shade for mm, me. It's so hard. With that product. And so I've been like, Oh, it doesn't work for me, but I'm wondering if I just, like have not gone right well, shade, and so. also i will say like it, there is something interesting about this stuff where like it takes a second to settle like it's not like when i put mm. it on at first it's like it's really jarring and then like you have to rub it and rub it and rub it and it sort of is like changing as it sinks in so maybe i don't know maybe that's it could be part of of the experience is like it, it it's it is tricky to find the right one i guess Wow. All right. right. Glad you see me on this. (laughs) Uh, um, Well, Rebecca, where can our listeners find you if they want to kind of follow along with the work that you do? Well, um, yeah, Instagram is like, I, is like the only social media platform that where I tend to show up. Um, so I'm at sitting underscore pretty. Um, but I have a website too, which Kate spent some time on, I think. Um, so <laughs> yep, clearly yeah, there's, and I need to, there's so much updating I need to do on it. I'm, I'm not very, very on top of that. Um, but there is a lot there and I will continue to update it, but, um, just Rebecca is my website. And there's, a, there's some, some links to syllabi there if you're interested among other things. So, um, yeah, you want to imagine place. you're in your cl- class with Rebecca. Yeah, go, <laughs> go join me I looking at the that. syllabi. I love that so much. Um, well, thank you so much thank for coming you. on the show. It was truly a pleasure to I talk to you. I loved your questions. Like, thank you so much for such thoughtful, like wonderful questions. I really appreciate you inviting oh. me on. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I mean, look, we already did a lot of gushing, but we did. <laughs> that was a really 
Such a fun interview. I mean, again, like anytime, so fun. <laughs> anytime I get down about, about things, I do remember that like part of my job is getting to talk to amazing people every week with you. It's like very lucky. Aww, I know. It's so cool. Like it what, is cool. What good fortune. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that, Kate. Um, <clears throat> Kate, how has your early bedtime stuff gone? Uh, it's been going pretty well, actually. I have been taking two little melatonin, one milligram. I forget how melatonin is measured, but I've been taking melatonin to really um, regulate my body's sleeping habits. Um, but yeah, I have been getting that sleep because as Dory has has heard, my hacking COVID cough and my general like COVID tiredness is still pretty pervasive. So I'm still working on this rest. I'm going to keep at it for a while. <laughs> okay. There it is. Ooh, there it there is. There it is. Yeah. So in line with the that's that spirit, uh, this week my intention is just not to push it because mm. and I I think I've spoken a little bit about this, but one thing I really have now understand is that COVID recovery continues like after you're done testing positive and I I still am having these kind of lingering uh, symptoms or my body's still just a little tired. And I also had hand surgery this week. So I tend to get like, I tend to push myself a little too hard. So yeah. I'm going to really try to take a step back and honor the idea of like of rest and not pushing too hard. I like this. I hope I stick to it. I hope. I hope so too. All right. So over to you birthday queen you wanted to start a new book last week kate i kind of failed in this i you know i've been um you know in my newsletter we do a day in the life and um there was one a couple weeks ago where the person i profiled said that she plays quartal and global in addition to wordle oh boy and i was like you know, I'd seen people tweet about these and I was like, ah, I don't need to get into this. And then I was finally like, well, maybe I'll just see what this is about. <laughs> oh boy. I've done it a few times, but not. So yeah, okay. now, now I'm like deep into Quartal <laughs> and global. I don't know what is global. The geography one where you have to like yeah. guess the country. Yeah. And yeah. Quartal is the one with the four quadrants, with the right? Four quadrants. Yeah. yeah and you I've have done Quartal. You have nine tries to get all four words. Wow, look at you. You really are ordling. You know, there's a fish. There's fortal, a, a fish version of wordle or fertile, that, I guess you would call it. I think I probably will not. <laughs> you don't want to try in. that one? <laughs> no, I think I'm good, but thank okay. you. No, I just wanted to make sure it's on your um, radar. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So, yeah, so I haven't started a new book and I'm still, you know, still doing my traditional crosswords. I love a crossword. What can I say? It really keeps your brain sharp. I think this is great. So, yeah. So, I have not started a new book. But I, by the time this airs, I will have already returned. But I'm going away for my birthday with my family, um, Sunday to Wednesday. And maybe I'll bring a book. Oh, you maybe should. I'll just, like, enjoy my vacay. You're going to a beachside village. I'm going to a beachside village. Bring so. a bring a book. Bring a yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, so that's, that's my intention. Well, I hope you have a wonderful rest. You're Thank going, you so much. I like this intention for you. Just enjoy this break. Relax. Feel your bones. Mm. What does that mean? I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like just, you know, experience pleasure in your body as you just mm. celebrate yourself. I'm really going, I'm really going, going for it here. I'm not quite sure what I'm saying. Um, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the sentiment. Normally when I start rambling like this, it's probably time to wrap up the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do that. <laughs> Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Dory Shafrier and Kate Spencer. And it's produced and edited by Sam Junio. Sammy Reed is our project manager. Our network partner is ACAST. Thank you so much for being here. Bye.